Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California, Tale, Minnesota. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I'm the Looking California portion of the program. I'm an acting coach and a writer in sunny Southern California. And I am joined by the inimitable Barry Anderson with two S's. Barry, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a director based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Have a job, will travel, but, uh, you know, we get the 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 privilege of, uh, I guess I used to say we made beautiful images. I think it's more turning into storytelling because I feel as budgets get cramped, um, it's all about storytelling and we'll just compromise in every other phase of our art form, um, at least in the corporate world. And then in movies, they spend lots of money for things to be beautiful and they forget how to write or direct or act in them. So I guess it depends on where you're working as to what the current focus is in the uh, in the industry. Okay, fair enough. Way way to get us off on a yeah, just a, a bright just, start. Barry. Well, I mean, I I don't know, I don't know what your <laughs> opinions of the movie we're gonna do. Like sometimes we come into these and you're just you know ready to just you know take them to task and say how bad it was, and every once in a while we're pleasantly surprised. And I'm uh, guessing I know where you're gonna go with this one, <laughs> but I could be wrong. Sound, you I make could me be sound wrong. like a cinema ogre, Barry. So, no, no, no. We talked about <laughs> how for three and a half years it's maybe the most dire. Oof period yeah. in cinema history like this is not us being like even even the greats are going what is going on i think yeah. Quentin tarantino came out and said it's literally i think he's like maybe the you know amongst the third worst period of films in the entire history of cinema right now yeah, so I, I we are not alone accurate. we are not alone we are not alone thank goodness and uh we have each other of course so what we do on this show we talk about movies and the movie we're going to talk about today is Amsterdam. Now, you may not have heard about Amsterdam. I wouldn't blame you. Amsterdam came out on October 7th of this year. It came out in theaters, and it completely flopped. It was a box office bomb. It has a budget of $80 million, and it made $30 million, 31 which I'm actually surprised it made that much. Um, the movie is directed by David O. Russell, who is, I think he has five Oscar nominations in his career. He's made movies such as Silver Linings Playbook, The Fighter, uh, American Hustle, uh, Three Kings. Uh, he also wrote the movie, and the movie stars Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Chris Rock, Anya Taylor-Joy, Zoe Saldana, Mike Myers, Michael Shannon, Timothy Oliphant, Taylor Swift, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro. I mean, this is like a all-star cast, if there ever was one. The cinematographer is Emmanuel Lubezki, who Barry and I both know very well, and, and uh, he's maybe the best in the world. And the plot of the film. So the film uh, is set at first in 1918 during World War I, where the three main characters who are um, Bert Berenson, who's a doctor, and John David Washington's character, Harold Woodman, who's a, a, a soldier in World War I. So the two of them meet in World War I and they get wounded. And then they meet their nurse, who is Valerie Bandenberg, played by Margot Robbie. And the three of them become best of friends. And after the war, they sort of hang out in Europe. And then they go back to the States and sort of have their own lives. And uh, Bale's doctor character sort of struggles to have his practice. He's married in an unhappy marriage. His, his 
in-laws are very wealthy, powerful people, and he's sort of not. John David Washington becomes a lawyer, um, and Margot Robbie sort of disappears, so they don't know what happened to her. But the three of them end up getting back together, and in 1933, they are they stumble across a plot to overthrow the president of the United States, who is FDR at that point. Uh, the plot is by a bunch of powerful people in America who want to install a fascist regime. Um, these same people are supporting Hitler and Mussolini in Europe. And the for all these sort of historically literate people out there, it's loosely based on an actual plot called the business plot, where uh, in 1933, J.P. Morgan, um, I think Charles Singer from the Singer Corporation, the, the um, sewing machine fortune, uh, everybody's favorite, Prescott Bush, who was a banker, became a senator. His, he's the father to a president and a grandfather to a president. These men tried to uh, run a coup in the United States, and it was thwarted by, um, oh, what's his name? I'm blanking on his name. This is terrible. How can I blank on this guy's name? Um, what is his name? I'm looking it up right now. Hold on. Smedley Butler. There it is. So Smedley Butler was, what was, first of all, we should talk about Smedley Butler when the time comes. He's one of the great American heroes that nobody knows of. He was a great war hero in like a million wars for the U.S. And then he's approached by these oligarchs to... Uh, raise an army of veterans, disgruntled veterans, and take over the United States and be installed as sort of a puppet fascist dictator. Smedley Butler, being the great man that he was, does not go for it, and he goes public. And uh, he tells Congress about it, he tells the media about it, and there's hearings and all these sorts of things. Anyway, the plot is thwarted. That's what this movie is about, but they, they uh, fictionalize uh, the people's names and, and all that sort of stuff. So if you don't know about that, that's something you should look up in your own. And you should read my review of this movie because I get into quite deep detail about all of this stuff. And Barry will be horrified once he reads it. But anyway, that's the plot of the movie. These three sort of misfits come together and uh, take on this coup and try and, and thwart it. And it's the long winding road. It describes itself as a period comedy thriller. So Barry Anderson. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Can you repeat those three, three <laughs> things again? A period comedy thriller. Now, by the way, I should state it did come out in theaters in October and, and did not do well at the box office for a variety of reasons. Um, but it's now available to stream on HBO Max, which is where I saw it. I saw it uh, over the holiday. And that's where Barry saw it. So if you want to watch it, you should go watch it. So Barry, what did you think of Amsterdam? I'm I'm still trying to recover from Thriller. I don't know why that was attached to this movie because I don't remember any part of this movie being Thriller-esque. Well, here's, it, it, as you'll see when you read my review, I said the movie describes itself as a period comedy thriller, but I said it's more like a comedy thriller on its period. <laughs> okay, okay. <clears throat> I mean, David, yeah. o, David O. Russell is interesting. Some of his movies I like, some of them I don't. He, he, clearly, he clearly is able to talk to stars and they want to work with him. 
you know, he's got some regulars that he works with a lot. And then I think people come in and he's like, it's not, he's not a Tim Burton. He's not a Wes Anderson. He's kind of somewhere like there's a style kind of, but not really. So he's, he's, he's interesting in, in the, in the fact that like, he's not a hack, you know, it's not like he doesn't have anything going for him, but it's kind of like, he's not really committed to standing out in a way where like, as soon as you see it, you're like, Oh, I know what that is. So, you know, he's got, especially working with Chivo. I mean, the visual, the visual aspect of this film is, you know, quite nice. So just so everybody knows, Chivo is the nickname of Emmanuel Lebeski, who's the cinematographer. He goes by Chivo. Go ahead. And I didn't know, you know, I think I maybe seen like one preview for this movie. So I didn't know much going into it. I just kind of, you know, decided to go with the ride. And boy, oh boy, I don't know what this, like, this is the, this is an example of a movie that tonal, like tonally, it doesn't have a structure or like a pattern. It kind of just from moment to moment, it'll be more this, more that, more this. And I was very... I'd say bored, but I was like confused and I was apathetic for large sections of this movie. I was like, I don't know why, why am I supposed to care? Who are these people? And like, you know, like for instance, like Remy Malik and um, uh, what's the actress's name that uh, um, Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah. I mean, those characters were so over the top, almost like a, you know, a snurdly from, you know, <laughs> Back in the old comic book er- or com- uh, 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 cartoon era. So like there were parts that were kind of real, but kind of like hyperized. Then there was like just ridiculous. Then there was like they tried to make parts serious, but they didn't really work. So I just I just had a hard time kind of landing on what this movie was supposed to be. And I thought the two most interesting characters were or at least maybe not the most interesting characters. The most interesting people to watch when they were on screen was Christian Bale and um Oh my gosh, what's the the star star's name? The woman? Margot uh, Robbie? Yeah, Margot Robbie. Yeah. Um, we've talked about uh Mr. Washington, and he keeps getting cast in big movies, but he just hasn't found a way to kind of stand out enough. I think, you know, being in the trio of those, he's by far the weakest link. It's not that, you know, I've seen worse actors, but he just doesn't have something that's missing there but i thought that margot robbie and 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 christian bale were at least interesting to watch but with that said uh this movie was kind of a train wreck (laughs) i don't really know what to say about it i don't even know how to describe what the movie was i don't understand you know it just it's weird it's just a weird weird movie yeah you know let's talk about david o russell for a minute you described him you said he's not a hack well, and I I would argue he's actually a hack who has just gotten the stamp of approval from Hollywood for some reason. I don't know why. See, I, I can understand why you say that, but like I see hacks and they literally can't do anything. They can't like command a performance. They can't do anything. He's got more than that. He's just not great. Like they like it, he's a, he's in he's a fairly competent person masquerading as a genius as opposed to a hack who's like how the hell did you even get hired for this job and now you might disagree with me but that's how i mean if you look back at his career he's gotten some pretty strong performances 
Now, granted, when you get great actors, sometimes they can just overpower your directing and just act well. Maybe right. it falls more in that category, but he's got to attract and land actors that are willing to be in his movies, and he's done that. And maybe that's because of the facade of him being a greatness. I don't know. So I, I have a hard time labeling him as a hack, but I can understand what you're saying because when you look at what the quality is supposed to be and what he delivers, it feels hackish, but I think it might be because the expectations are too high. Yeah, you know, so he he's sort of a mystery because the the arc of his career is very strange. He starts out with um, uh, Spanking the Monkey which is this independent film. I saw at the theater starring Jeremy Davies. It was sort of Jeremy Davies coming out party, like, oh, here's this actor who's going to be somebody. And it was David O. Russell, same thing. And the movie only had people discussing it because of the subject matter, which was incest. And, you, you know, Jeremy Davies' career sort of, flounders after that he sort of gets a shot you know saving private ryan it doesn't he doesn't really hit you know and but david o russell for some reason does now three kings is another i think it was his next film um it's his most interesting film and his most ambitious film um but then he let, let's go through his uh filmography. I'm, 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 I'm pulling it up right now so then uh Oh, Flirting with Disaster, which is a film which people love, and I hate this movie. I hate that movie so much, I don't know what to say. Then, uh, I Heart Huckabee's 2004. Um, people, again, they love this movie. It's this weird philosophical comedy. Then there's his three big hits come. The Fighter, 2010, 2012, Silver Linings Playbook, and 2013, American Hustle. Those movies... Uh, Christian Bale won Best Supporting Actor in The Fighter. Silver Linings Playbook, uh, Jennifer Lawrence won Best Actress, I think. Thanks. So. And American Hustle, everybody's nominated. You know, so these movies are getting nominations. Those movies were very popular and they made a lot of money and they suck. They are bad movies. They are poorly made. They are poorly shot. The acting in them is a certain strain of acting where you go, oh, okay, I kind of get what you're doing. It's this sort of thing. Christian Bale loses a lot of weight, is very twitchy in The Fighter. That's great. But The Fighter is like watching the fight scenes in The Fighter. It's like they're fighting underwater. It's ridiculous. Silver Linings Playbook is just, uh, um, you know, what's his name? Uh, Bradley Cooper. Uh, Bradley Cooper, sort of his coming out thing of like, oh, I put this movie together because I'm going to be a big star. And, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, that's her sort of coronation. Those three movies are, are really, really paper thin. They're incredibly shallow pieces of work. And then in uh, 2015, he does Joy. Joy sort of bonds at the box office that stars Jennifer Lawrence. And he doesn't make another movie for seven years. Amsterdam's his next movie. What's weird about David O. Russell having such consistent access to big movie stars in his movie. He's had Amy Adams, you know, Mark Wahlberg's done a few, Christian Bale's done a few, Amy Adams has done a few, Jennifer Lawrence has done a few, uh, De Niro has been in a few. By all accounts, David O. Russell is one of the biggest assholes in Hollywood. 
he mistreats his actors. He mistreats his cast. Um, he's gotten into, you know, trouble. There's a famous story about Three Kings, George Clooney, who, you know, it's a self-serving Clooney story. Clooney made it known that he stood up to, to David Russell when he was berating a crew member or something. And then on uh, uh, his next film, he, he, there was footage of him released berating Lily Tomlin. Then word came out that I think it was on American Hustle. He uh, was really tough on Amy Adams so much so that Christian Bale had to sort of step in between to protect Amy Adams. There's the story of David O. Russell physically assaulting Christopher Nolan um, at a party over a casting thing. There's the story of him sexually harassing niece or nephew who's a teenager, all these things. So with all that stuff, that's what makes it so baffling that people still flock to be in his movie because he makes not great movies. Now I get it. Some of them were popular, but like in hindsight, I would hope that you watch him again and you're like, holy shit, this sucks. But this movie, Amsterdam, I mean, talk about this all-star cast. All this stuff has been well-known for quite some time. This all-star cast, just comes tripping out to, to work with him again. He gets $80 million to make it. And this movie is absolutely atrocious. It's, a, it's stunning how awful this movie is, even compared to his other bad movies. Like, it, it's astounding. I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around how bad this movie was. The only thing I could come up with was that like some, you know, the oligarchs who run our country want the business plot to be forgotten forever, like memory. <laughs> and so they the said, yeah. And so they said, hey, let's make the worst movie about it ever so that people will be so uncomfortable. They'll never want to talk about it again. And I think it's successful. That's the only way I can be like, wow, this really works because this movie is a mess. The script is a disaster area. It is so incoherent and incomprehensible and just moronic tonally, like you said, just all over the map. And then the performances we can get into because, look, Christian Bale is a very good actor and he's a very good sort of movie star actor. You know, like he's great doing that. And he does his, he's working in this thing. You see him work in it and he's committed and he does his thing. Margot Robbie is beautiful to look at, but the more you see her in movies, the less you think of her. She is, to call her a one-note actress would be polite. John David Washington, who on this podcast, on the Tenet pod podcast, I defended John David Washington. And I actually said, you know what, this guy's got something. I, I, I like this guy. Yes, he did. And ever since then, catastrophe. <laughs> and here's the truth. And I wrote about this. It's shocking how bad he is in this movie. He seems so overwhelmed and out of place. Yeah. He has absolutely no idea what he's doing on screen. None. Well, and not that I'm going to defend him. 
but I basically didn't know what anybody was supposed to be doing on screen. Like if I read the script, I would be like, okay, you want me to say these lines and hit these marks, but like, you're going to have to help tell me what's going on. And I'm sure David O. Russell did not, you know, convincingly tell him what's going on. But I do think that just his acting ability in general is so far below. Yes. Margo's and you know, so like all these things, it's like, yeah, they say everything conspires to make it the worst. And for this, for this particular role for him, this puts him in the worst possible light possible, which is it really, bizarre. really here's the other thing in, in terms of the cast. So um, just to make a point, so th- th- none of the characters are well-written or fully fleshed out or anything, but you know, like I said, Christian Bale, he's all in. And so he makes a character out of it. Yeah. One that you're like, Oh, okay. There you go. I don't think Margot Robbie does that. John David Washington certainly doesn't do it. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy, who you mentioned, she plays this small role. But to her credit, that's a terrible role, poorly written. But she at least commits to something. Well, she does. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it, like to me, the difference between her performance and Christian Bales is Christian Bales is obviously over the top. And it's like almost, you know, cartoonish but yet it's grounded in you can kind of buy the fact okay this is yes. the world i'm in whereas yeah. Anya taylor joys it is just like it's like putting jim carrey and sonic the hedgehog it's yeah. like they're gonna do their thing but you're like okay this is clearly not rooted in any sort of world and that was my complaint with both her and remy malik that they well, committed to something but like i didn't like it just made it it just made another tonal layer to this movie that desperately needed less of those than more of them well, that's the other thing we need to talk about. So I, I fully concede I was wrong about John David Washington. He's a bad actor. <laughs> he just is. But you know who else is a bad actor? Remy Malik. Yeah. Remy Malik is a really bad actor. And he won Best Actor for playing Freddie Mercury. And he's been playing Freddie Mercury ever since. And he is terrible. He's terrible in this movie. He was terrible in the movie that he did with John David Washington's father, Denzel. He was terrible in that. And he's been terrible in everything. And it's crazy. He's a bad actor. He is. I feel like what Remy Malik should be is kind of one of those kind of interesting character actors that because of his look, he gets put in things and cast. You kind of remember him, but he's never like the whole part of a movie. And I think because he became like a star and like a lead and like this, like, you know, award-winning actor, it is screwed up what he was meant to be. And it exacerbates his weaknesses because he's not a good actor, but he's interesting, weird looking enough that like you could put him in something and bury him and it wouldn't like cause you to hate it. But when he gets put front and center, just doesn't work. I mean, I just don't, you know, so we're talking about like the Bond movie he did. We're talking about this. We're talking about the Denzel movie. I mean, it's just a mess. He's a mess. Now, all of these bad performances uh, and oh, Taylor Swift, what are we doing? What What is happening? Uh, I, I mean, mean, Taylor Swift, most of the movie she's in, she's not asked to do much. I thought maybe her best performance was in that like very, very bizarre. Was it Valentine's Day? One of her first movies where she was kind of this like little kid with a heartthrob thing with the guy from Twilight. And it somehow felt organic, even though it wasn't good. But now it's like, hey, 
Taylor Swift's got a big fan base. Let's put her in. Let's put her in yep. some like, you know, yeah. 20s flappers and it's going to be cool. And you're like, yeah, it is. But that she doesn't elevate it. So the big again, the bigger the part you give her, the more it's going to accentuate that it's not working. And that yeah. that was the case in this movie. So to me, the 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 trinity at the top, Bale, Robbie and, and Washington. I no, think it's, it's, it's Bale, Robbie, and then the guy that you don't remember. That's right. that's the trifecta. Well, I I actually think Margot Robbie's pretty terrible in this movie too. I I think like she, and and I just saw her in Babylon. Barry's not seen Babylon yet. She's the lead in Babylon. Again, it's another period piece from the same time period as this, actually. And like, I'm telling you, I I, I she was great in The Wolf of Wall Street. I loved her. She's I loved her in Itanian. Yes, she's great. But something's going on where like the, the it is the more you're exposed to her, the more she's on screen, the less impressive she becomes. I I see I don't know if I agree with I think the roles I think what's happened is she's become I think it happened with Suicide Squad and Harley Quinn is it went from her getting like jobs to being like a high paid mega actress. And I don't think then people are buying. It's kind of like, you know, take any of your male actor stars that like everyone's like, he just plays the same role in every movie. That's what she's becoming. And I think that's going to hurt her because then people are going to like gravitate toward her looks and say, well, she's just, you know, pretty or what happens when she, you know, ages and stuff like that. She has something captivating about her beyond her beauty on some of these other performances. But I think right now she's just like someone like the rock where all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, this is literally what I'm going to do every time the camera comes on. And it like, after a while you're like, I don't want to watch this anymore. And I think she's quickly speeding down that road. I think she has the talent to correct it, but also I wouldn't, you know, I, I can't really complain if she's getting checks for five, 10, 15, $20 million. I'll, you know, it's it's tempting. So if that's flying out the window right now, I can see why maybe she's, you know, trying to, you know, work with directors. Cause I mean, she's worked with a lot of talented directors and if she bought into David O. Russell as being, you know, one of the pantheons, why not be in this movie? But yeah, she's her, her performance as a performance is not great, but she's at least captivating enough in relation to everybody else that's in this film, which is not captivating at all. <laughs> so it's like, it's again, it's a, it's a weird grading system we're on here. It is. It's 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 tough, man. And you know the plot. So it starts out in 1918 during World War One, and then we jump ahead to uh, 1933, and it's sort of this mystery unraveling and figuring things out. And I mean, just you just could not care less about any of these people or what's happening. Um, I mean, I would respect the movie more. I. I Look, I think it's great to make a movie about the business plot because most people don't know about it. I think it's a really important thing. Um, but they did it but, in such a bizarrely flippant, yes. non like, like there was no stakes. You didn't buy like it was just it didn't work. So if, if that's what yeah. you're leaning into, you know, it'd be like doing whatever Valkyrie, you know, where they're going to assassinate Hitler. And like you got all the zany stuff going on, and then the Hitler part was like ten minutes, and you never took it seriously, and everybody was camping. You're like, well, right. that's not really the plot of this movie. So yeah, no, I, it, that doesn't work. Yeah, to, and look, if you're gonna make that movie, like you say, tonally this is totally off. 
you, you make a real business plot movie. Hell, I as I wrote in my piece, I, I was like, where's the the Smedley Butler biopic, man? Like this guy's life is incredible or, or a miniseries or whatever. And, you know, the other thing that that sort of grates me, if you're going to make a movie about the business plot, have the balls to actually name some people like some real people like JP Morgan. He's dead, by the way. Uh, Prescott Bush, you really want poke somebody in the fucking eye over this stuff. Don't don't be some mealy mouth douchebag and be like, oh wow, these imaginary people we're gonna name were really bad. <laughs> it's like, come on, man, what are you doing? And plus, all of that, none of that stuff works at all. No, no one who watches this movie is gonna be like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna go learn more about the business plot. They're just gonna be like, thank God this is over. Oh my god. <laughs> Like this was torture. It's brutal. It's a terrible movie. It's astonishing. So let, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a fight. Let's do it. So I'm assuming that your friend Robert De Niro plays the Smedley's part in the he movie. He does. Who is not um, named Smedley Butler in the movie, by the way. No, His name no, is General not. Dylan Beck. Yeah. For uh, some reason. Although at the Beck? end, let me just say this. At the end, the movie ends. Then they show a clip of Robert De Niro doing a speech. And right next to him is a clip of Smedley Butler saying the exact same speech. It's insane. It makes no sense. Name the guy Smedley fucking Butler. What are we doing? <laughs> Go ahead. Let's fight, Barry, because I'm ready. Uh, I don't think I can remember in the last 20 years a performance by Robert De Niro that lives up to his status as one of the greats of his generation. I think he has moved into the, I'm going to mail in every performance that I do <laughs> until I die. And I found like, here's supposed to be this like honorable character. That's like this, like, and it just, he felt so empty in this that I just, I didn't like his performance. And I'm just like, boy, what a waste. And I know that you're a bigger Robert De Niro fan than I am. And I just thought, I'd love to hear your opinion and let you yell at me and I'll just tell you you're wrong. No, here's the thing. I, I agree with you, Bob. He's a friend of mine. So I yep. call him Bob. Bobby, Bobby D. Um, you're right. He's been in the, you know, mortgage ain't going to pay for itself phase of his career for a long time now. Now here's the funny thing. You know, it's him and Pacino have always been, they're the same generation, Italian Americans from, New York and they've sort of been uh, you know lumped against each other or lumped together or pitted against each other and of course they did the movie Heat um, which I'm trying to think it may be De Niro's last best movie um, I'm, I'm looking up to see what, what you would rate as his last week movie but keep going I'm going to look him up because I, I can't remember so perfect example is The Irishman um, De Niro in The Irishman is fine. Al Pacino is fantastic. Al Pacino in the last 20 years has done, even though he did some real garbage. Yep. He, he's done uh, like Donnie Brasco, you know, in the, in the late nineties, he's That's one of his best performances, you know? Um, it, so it's, Ay, ay, ay. It, it, yeah, so I like De Niro in this. He's empty. He was empty in uh, 
silver linings playbook um you know it's just it seems to me i'm gonna look right now Let's wow see. casino and heat were the same year yeah that's, see, a, that's, some, that's, that's a hell of a year that's a yeah. hell of a year and um, then were you a fan of wag the dog yeah, Wag the Dog. Jackie Brown, he's actually pretty good. I didn't like the movie, but he's pretty well, good in it. That was 97, so he did Copland, Jackie Brown, Wag the Dog in 97. Yeah. In 98, he did Great Expectations and Ronin. Then he had Analyze This, and that kind yeah, of went see, into... all that stuff, the Analyze This thing was a huge hit, and I think that was terrible for him. Yeah, well, then it went into the Meet the Parents, and, you know, kind yeah. of, he, he jumped back and forth, but I think he started to realize that comedy was paying the bills. Yeah. And he started doing, like you said, like Ronin, like the score. Yep. Um, movies like that. I'm, I'm going through it right now. And there's, I mean. Oof. Since the mid mid to late 90s, it's been a fallow period. He's been in good movies, but they were not good movies because of him. The Joker was a good movie, not because of his performance. Oh, yes. Yeah, I forgot about the Joker. I forgot he was in it. That's that's pretty terrible that I forgot that he was in it. Um. Yeah, I, man. I, I think, it, you know, I think I watched Raging or not Raging Bull, uh, Taxi Driver, like within the last five or six years for the first time. And it's like you watch that and you're like, oh, I get why this is like one of the great yeah. like, that performance oh, yeah. is like right up there in cinema history. And then you watch most of his stuff now. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like yeah. what? Like Al Pacino, he still has a mystique and like a, like if you're on set with him, you know, De Niro would just be like, I'm De Niro. And you're like, okay, you don't like, you're talking about yourself in the third person. Whereas Al Pacino, he would just be like, can I bother him? Or is he going to like eat me? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's like right. a mistake about him that you're like, you know, is he going to, is he going to show up on set or is he going to come blow us away? And I feel like Bob is just like, I'm Bob and I just do this. And you're like, okay, well you need to be challenged, man. Cause what you're doing right now is not up to your, your capabilities. Well, I mean, I think the great example of that is the Irishman that, De Niro um, is the lead and he he does yeoman's work in it. I mean, but there's nothing he, he he almost seems sort of sort of dead behind the eyes at this point. Whereas Pacino in that movie is he plays Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, he's electrifying. He, he is fantastic in that movie. And the two of them to, to be on screen again, and you're just like, oh, you can mix and match and, and compare. And it's like, well, I got to say right now, Pacino's, he's winning that battle, you know. And look, Pacino in the 70s and De Niro in the 70s, you know, De Niro did uh, Taxi Driver, Raging Bulls, 1980. Um, you know, he's in Godfather 2 and, you know, the, and Deer Hunter. And I mean, you go on and on. And Pacino's doing, you know, Godfather, which is just one and two, incredible, Dog Day Afternoon. And you're just like, what's going on, man? This cat, the two of them, just crushing it. Yeah. Pacino goes in the 80s. He sort of falls off. He goes back to theater. He, he makes some bad decisions with movies. Um, makes a little comeback in the 90s. In the 80s, De Niro wins that competition. He, he does a lot of great things. I mean... The King of Comedy is great. Um, you know, The Mission, uh, you know, then Goodfellas in the early 90s. It's, I mean, Casino that year, right? You know, just fantastic. I think you just, you get tired and you're just like, what's the easy way for me to make, so he got divorced. 
right? A couple times, you know, you get kids, the whole thing. I think that's what it is, man, where he's just like, I don't have the fire in my belly anymore, and I'm just going to go for the paycheck, which is why you tip your cap to guys like Daniel Day-Lewis, who thus far have just been like, no, I'm done. I'm out. I mean, you know? if you can't rise to, to do the performance, just sit it out. Yeah, you know, and it's, it, it costs a lot. Um, and then there's Amsterdam, which is, you're right. He's just sort of saying his lines in it and like, you know, doing his thing. I want to talk to you about something in this movie, and I'm wondering if you noticed it, because um, I did. Uh, so in this film, for some reason, there are a multitude of shots where the camera, the p characters are in a discussion with either one or more different characters. And their eye line is right into the camera. Now this happens maybe maybe 10 times in the movie, something like that, which is a lot. And what the problem with that is, there are other movies that have tried to do that and some have been successful. Um, Silence of the Lambs, for instance. But what happens is that they cut from those scenes, shots, and the person they're talking to is looking in the other direction because they don't, they don't, they're not matching. The shots don't match. Nobody's eye line matches. It is absolutely insane. It creates such a disjointed, nonsensical uh, drama. It's it, it's baffling. And number one, I want to ask if you noticed it. And number two, what did you think of it? And number three, why do you think he was doing that? Ooh, that's a that's a loaded question. So I think I don't know why he did it because it doesn't make sense. The part that is more baffling to me than shooting it that way is when he was working with the editor and they'd be staring at or near the camera, and then you'd cut to like you know John David Washington or uh, Margot Robbie, and they would it would be almost a profile. Yeah, looking across, and you're just like, wait a minute. Like, where is this person in the scene? Like, it, 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 like, clocks you upside the head. And the only thing I can think of, and I'm not saying this to be like trite or, 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 or anything, I think there was a certain amount of confusion he was trying to throw into this movie. And I'm wondering if, like, he just kind of leaned into the fact we're just going to do a lot of atypical stuff and we're just not going to worry about it and it's going to work. Because I can't think of a strategic reason to do it. And I got to believe with how many movies he's done and working with someone like Chivo, they're not going to be like, oh, do we need coverage for this? And No, we don't. And like, not like Chivo would make him explain like, hey, okay, how are you planning on working this? Because I don't see how this is going to work. And the director has to tell the the DP that like, no, no, I got a plan for this. And the the, the DP has to be like, I trust you as opposed to like, wow, you're insane. And this is a terrible idea. And, you know, I need to call my agent, and get off this film, right. which I feel yeah. like if that was a plan, that's what would have happened. Unless they just maybe paid Chivo enough where he's like, I don't care. Um, I'll make the pictures look good. It's not my job to, to tell the story and make the actors work. That's, that's for the director. But I mean, it, it is, it adds a confusion and kind of an oddity 
because it's wrong that I'm wondering if he just thought it was kind of like meta where like I can do this. And it's like, yeah, you know, this doesn't work, sir. You know, it's funny you say that because what I speculated on because besides the, the takes directly to the camera, there's a bunch of shots that emphasize eyes. Eyes eyes are a part of the story. So Christian Bale in the story, his character loses an eye in World War One, And so he wears a glass eye, which ironically or not, coincidentally, his character in the big short, which is about sort of the same topic of elites controlling things and regular people be, being screwed. His character in that wears a glass eye. Um, there are other people in the movie whose eyes are an odd focus of the camera and their eyes are changed for some reason. So Mike Myers uh, plays a <laughs> Brit British spy in this. And he's wearing, Mike Myers has brown eyes. He's wearing these very peculiar blue contact lenses. Um, Ed Begley Jr. plays a World War I general. And he has the same thing. And their eyes are, the camera sort of uh, stops and, and, and gazes at their eyes for quite some time. Uh, it, so eyes are a big thing. And I kept thinking with, with the, uh, the, the characters talking into the camera with these focus on eyes, it, be, it seemed pretty heavy handed to me. But it felt like this was David O. Russell saying like, hey, everybody, you have to see what's happening. You audience member, we're talking directly to you, which is why we're talking directly into the camera. This is not about the business plot in 1933. It's about now. It's about the coup to take over the United States. You know, I'm saying this from, from David O. Russell's perspective. Donald Trump is destroying our democracy. Our democracy is at stake. The, the coup, all these sorts of things, which was, by the way, common discussion in, in many major media outlets, you know, and, and in, in liberal circles especially that I run in um, leading up to this. And it felt like this is David O. Russell's heavy handed way of being like, I'm a sage. Listen to me. This is a movie trying to warn you about the dangers. See, we have to see what's really happening. Notice all the eyes. And this is why the characters are saying to you, hey, I'm looking in the camera saying to you, there's a coup coming. We can't let fascism take over America. And, you know, it's sort of like an MSNBC fever dream. Um, but people, particularly in Hollywood, by the way, who is notoriously very, very liberal, but a particular type of liberal. So it's this sort of mainstream-esque MSNBC Rachel Maddow's sort of thing where they, you know, chastise other groups for being conspiracy theorists, but then they will talk about there's a coup in America and Trump did this and that, which, you know, I don't give a shit either way. But to be clear, and this is not a political thing, this is just, look, this is how people behave and what they think. And this is what David Russell thinks and behaves. And that's what I think that's about. And yet I think that tactic in filmmaking, the way he does this, is so disordered. It creates 
absolute cinematic and dramatic chaos. Yeah. It makes the movie utterly incoherent and incomprehensible. It's bizarre. And and I just think to myself, like, how arrogant and ignorant and just moronic can you be to be like, hey, I got an idea. Let's have John David Washington, who who's like just had a charisma bypass. Let's have him look into the camera and talk to the audience about like the coming coup and fascism in America. It's just like, what are you doing? My goodness. I don't have much to add to that because all of that is uh, accurate. I think if 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 that was his intent, he should have kept it within that scene then where every actor looked at the camera, where it's like the audience is like, oh, I, yeah, I need to be paying. So like, yep. you can't have part of the line, then cut away. But like you said, disjointed, bizarre, incoherent, confusing. I mean, that was like very early in this movie. I'm just like, I'm just going to watch it but I am not actively participating because yeah. I like, it's going to be too exhausting and I'm just going to be furious by the end of this. So it was like, I'll just kind of scoot my chair back. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll watch this. And at the end, I'll try to process what I saw as opposed to being engaged because I knew early on that was going to be a fruitless endeavor to try to pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, if that's true, if that's what he was trying to do, it's it's an incredibly ambitious thing to do and i think it just spotlights the fact that you know his his eyes are bigger than his stomach he's he just doesn't have the skill or the talent to pull something that ambitious off um and besides that i, I actually question for you about the cinematography since it is chivo what did you think of how the film was shot besides the weird takes into the camera I mean, I thought it had to, I mean, I didn't realize the budget was 80 million and you're like, holy tomatoes is that expensive yeah. for what we yeah. saw on screen. But, you know, the way Chivo lights, I mean, it looks like a professional lit it and like put things together, but it, it's always hard to tell when you get to director slash cinematographer relationships, how much of it is the cinematographer just lighting and yeah. then the director pushes everything or how much Chivo's like, no, no, we should use the camera in this manner. So it's very difficult for me to weigh in because I don't know enough about their dynamics. But the one thing I know Chivo 100% had the stamp of approval on is the overall like lighting, color scheme, that sort of stuff. And I thought yeah. that looked like, you know, a major motion picture that's going to try to win awards. And uh, he he achieved it. I don't think he did anything outside of the box where you're like, wow, you just, yeah. you know, change cinema but that you hire him to get a look like that and he, he delivered yeah and it is pretty interesting i mean i was reading about this movie and it uh when you put in the marketing and all that sort of stuff um they were saying the best case scenario is that it will lose a hundred million dollars which is just Dear lord you just sort of shudder at that it's like oh my god because they did i actually saw quite a lot of commercials for this um, and the way that they were sort of pushing it was as incoherent as the film itself. It's like, oh, it's a wacky comedy, you know, oh, Chris Rock is in it, you know, it's like the zany thing, and you're like, oh, okay. Was, was, did Chris Rock have a comedic part in this? I think he played pretty much oh. the straight man. I mean, it yeah. wasn't good, but I'm. Can, can I tell you something that it's not a performance per se, but like when I think about an it factor, maybe the most surprising part of this movie for me was the obviously forced subplot of Christian Bale 
and like his like relationship to his wife, but then kind yeah. of having that budding romance with uh uh oh god, what's Zoe, her name? Zoe Saldana. Zoe. Yeah. That worked for me. Like Zoe Saldana was terrific in this. She movie. was terrific in this terrific. movie. I was like, holy cow. I'm like, yeah. like, can I just get a spin-off movie of those yep. two? And those I would be two. there tomorrow. Like that was the best part of the whole movie. I'm like, if that's the whole movie, I'm just like thumbs up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you I'm know? telling you, that scene where like him and Zoe start to kind of come to terms, but then his wife shows up. Yep. And Zoe steps back and just watches him still pine for his wife. And then like you still like that is a nuanced performance and the ability yeah. to be like, okay, I'm going to give him space. Like, I feel like a lot of people now would just take that and be like, oh, you're talking to your wife. I'm out of here. And it would have like, this was a complex, very raw, interesting relationship. I'm like more of this, please. If yeah. you just watch those scenes, I can endorse this movie wholeheartedly. But outside of that, ooh, it's rough. It's rough, yeah. rough, rough sailing. I mean, if it were a movie about, um christian bale's character in a loveless marriage with these overbearing uh in-laws and you know him having to sort of stay in it even though he loves his wife she doesn't love him and but he has to stay there because that's where his career is but then he meets this woman zoe saldana that's that's a movie and a much better one than this yeah, without much question. better yeah i mean without question because she she zoe saldana has i think three two two scenes maybe uh two or three scenes in the movie and they just sparkle oh absolutely it's magic and she's not somebody i ever think of you know like where you're like oh well what about zoe saldana for that part and she is absolutely terrific in this terrific and and it's great because she's terrific and christian bale is terrific yeah and, and so it's the two best things about the movie are in the same scene together and you're like great Yes. And then it's like done in like 40 seconds. You're like, no, go back to that. Edit back to that room, please. You know, but then it would be cool if in this movie we're daydreaming about if Zoe Saldana like is trying to assassinate FDR and then Christian Bale has to choose who to kill, his wife or his lover. And then... Robert I feel like you and David O. Russell got in a thing, and now you're making the <laughs> idea of this movie even more confusing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shut that down because <laughs> someone who's watching the movie might think the movie might go that way. So let's not make them. Oh, that's true. That is true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Goodness gracious. So you and I split on David O. Russell. You, I think, think I don't think you think highly of him, Correct. but I think you think more highly of him than I do. Which is not saying much, by the well, way. On a, so let's put it this way: on a on a step ladder between one and ten steps, with like the truly greats, John Ford being on step ten, and you know, uh, let me pick. Uh, uh, oh, who? Oh my God! I see. I always pick on this director that I don't understand why he gets jobs. Give me one second. Uh, uh, Rennie Harlan. So if Rennie Harlan's on step one. What step is David O. Russell on for you? Oh, I mean, David O. Russell to me is like just for Three Kings. Even though I I find sort of the politics of Three Kings to be repulsive, um, it's it's like a pro war movie, which I find sort of baffling. Um, I'd put him on three. Okay, I think we're pretty. I was gonna say probably three, three and a half. 
Yeah, like, I'd say I don't, I'd I don't say think two or three. Around. When I hear the word hack, I think of like the people that like when you watch a movie and it's just like just nothing works. Like it's just like how the hell they even get hired? And I don't think he's at that level, but I don't think he's like Academy Award. Like everybody should show up and be in his movies and deal with whatever he's got. I don't think that. Yeah. Well, OK. Well, so you give him a three, three and a half. I give him a two and a half, three. <laughs> One zero. I'm at a zero now. I watched the movie again. I watched Amsterdam for the second time, and we've lowered this. You, now, here's a serious question. I, no, I do this more than you. I think I'll, I'll watch movies more than once and things. Can you ever imagine watching no. Amsterdam again? No, literally, I can't. It was such a painful, uncomfortable experience. I I would never even want no, to see a awful. picture of this thing again. Yeah, it would be awful. Because, like, oh. you just know how painful it was the first time and how long and how, like, you would just be like, oh, my gosh, this doesn't get better. It just gets worse. Yeah. And then then we got this scene with him and Zoe Zeldana. It would literally be, like, a blip. You're like, yeah, no, it's over that much faster the second time. Because you're like, no. Damn it. That was my only reprieve <laughs> for this other garbage in here. Jeez. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad movie. So, uh, yeah, I certainly don't recommend Amsterdam. I do recommend all the listeners out there, go to my website, mpmacting.com, read my review of Amsterdam, because it's a review, but it's also sort of a, uh, a little history rant that I think people should, should see. Barry hasn't read it yet, which is hysterical. I'm gonna He's going to be horrified that I'm... I'm hawking this piece on here once he reads it. He's going to be so horrified. Good. Um, this is our last episode, everybody. It's been uh, great spending time with oh, you yeah. over oh, these years. Look, let's, I'm going to be in Guantanamo by next week. I guarantee it. Um, yeah, so this movie stinks. Don't see it. It's, it has rightfully lost $100 million, which is, this makes me laugh my ass off. The, the thing um, I'll say is I know before Avatar The Way of Water came out, we yeah. were having debates of how much money it would make, where it would land. Yep. And could you bet on James Cameron? Just think about it. They took maybe the biggest risk in movie history to greenlight James Cameron, and it's going to work out. And you would think a David O. Russell movie at $80 million would be a pretty safe bet, and it's going to be one of the most bloodbath that the studio would take this entire year. And you're like, wow, that's brutal. That's brutal. Now, if, if listeners don't remember or didn't hear... I can't even remember what, what podcast we talked about it, but I asked Barry about the way of water and what do you think, how much it would make, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we did it after the first weekend it had been out. And Barry said he thought it would make like a billion and a half, which it's already made. It's like made that and it's it's got no competition for the next month. So Barry was way off. Now, the funny part of that is that I thought it would make less than that. <laughs> <laughs> And it's and the reason I thought that is because and this is still true. I have no interest in seeing this movie, none. It, it's like the first one I saw it. I didn't care. I don't remember a single thing about it. And then this thing comes out. And people are like, oh, the way of it's like three hours, and you know, it's great. And actually, nobody has said it's great to me. But they, they said, said oh, visual, they said it's visually like stunning. Yes. And I'm just like, I just don't. So when I went to the movie theater, um, the week, Christmas week, I went to the movie theater, I think on that Friday. And uh, 
I could have seen The Way of Water, which is three hours something, or I could have seen Babylon, which is three hours something. And I said, oh, I'm going to go see Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and saw Babylon. I've not seen The Way of Water. Uh, I know Barry hasn't seen it yet. This is the way of the world, man. This is the way of water. Yeah. So yep. we'll, we'll see. Well, we'll I, I guess we'll eventually see it. I don't know. But we don't need to review it. Nobody cares what we think about the way of water. No, I, I believe that movie is what they call critic proof. Yes. <laughs> it just does yeah. what it's going to does, regardless if it's good or not. <laughs> exactly. It's already passed Top Gun Maverick, man. Which is Shot insane right because people were talking like Top Gun Maverick was the, the biggest coup in movie history. Yeah. It just got run over by a movie that I don't hear anybody talking about. No one. It, it, no it, one. Same with me. It's, no one I know I, is, is talking about. This and movie. I heard dozens and dozens and dozens of people that yeah. like watch. And I like I know people who've seen Top Gun Maverick over 15 times. Yeah. Like, I got so into there's like, there's arguments like, over Top Gun Maverick. I got into fist fights over Top Gun Maverick. Multiple fist fights. I almost killed a guy with a shovel because he loved Top Gun Maverick so much. And I did not. But, you know, way of the water. It's the way of the world. And by the way, we're going to have to see it because there's more coming. Yeah. (laughs) We have to prepare for three and four. Ah. I don't know if I can do it. God help us. Goodness gracious. All right. So uh, this this is going to wrap up our Amsterdam pod. Amsterdam is a damn terrible movie. Don't see it. Skip it. It's on HBO Max. Even if it's like you're scrolling HBO Max and you see it out of the corner of your eye, just go as fast as you can past it so you don't accidentally click on it and it comes up on your screen because it's horrifying. It's terrible. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Look at California Film, Minnesota. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time at the movies. Just got an email here. It looks like David O. Russell wants to come on next week. So I don't know what this is about, but uh, we, might, we might have a feisty back and forth coming up. Bring him on. You know, David and I, uh, we're good friends. And uh, he and I, like, he treats his actors just like I treat you, you idiot. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, maybe we can do like the old DVD commentary where you and I are ripping it. And he's defending it in real time. Wouldn't that be a joy? <laughs> there is no question in my mind because he did, by the way, get to a physical scuffle with Christopher Nolan. I don't know if you've ever heard oh, that. Story. No, I haven't heard that. Yeah, he actually did at a party in front of people. He physically humiliated Nolan because Nolan was trying to cast somebody who was supposed to be in the Russell movie, but he, it was Jude Law. Okay. And, and so they were fighting over Jude Law. And of course, Christopher Nolan's, very sort of quiet person and David O. Russell in front of people got him in a headlock and got him down on his knees and like was humiliating him. And yeah, people still work with him. Now that hearing that makes me know that when he comes on this podcast next week, me and him are going to get into a fist fight. Yeah. I Cause think, that's how I behave. Yeah. Right? I, that's I'm, how you do this pod. I, you weren't wanting, didn't want to do it. And I grabbed you. I remember I pulled your pants down in front of everybody. We were at line at the cinema. And I pantsed you in front of everybody. And I said, do the podcast. And you were crying. And you said, okay, I'll do it. Well, I appreciate that you just uh, uh, gave me the nickname of Christopher Nolan and compared me to him. So I'll, I'll take that <laughs> out of this story <laughs> and run with it. Hey, quick, before we go. Yeah. Oppenheimer, have you seen the trailer? Are you excited? I... Are you angry? What, how do you feel? Uh, well, I will go see any Christopher Nolan movie because he's... Yeah. He's he's got the benefit of the doubt, even if it's like not my favorite. It's interesting. Uh, I 
I don't exactly know what the tone and kind of style of the movie is going to be, but I'm 100% like excited to watch whatever it is. And the fact that he wanted to make the atom bomb explosion a practical effect. Right. I got to go see it twice just to, just to support that. You're just like, God, I love it's, you, man. God, I love you. I know. It's so Christopher Nolan. You're it just is. like, wait a minute. You, you want to detonate a nuclear weapon? What are you talking about? <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's make sure we have the coverage, guys. <laughs> let's make sure everybody's rolling. Yep. Yep. I I just hope that uh Oppenheimer is like almost a sequel to Amsterdam tonally. Oh my god. Maybe you know? maybe it's the continuation of that fight that you know <laughs> this is his way of humiliating David right. Russell. I like it. I like it. it. All right, man. Good talk, and Amsterdam sucks.